like, Nora, I did read that, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And sent a rat to Margot Robbie. But haven't we all sent rats to Margot <laughs> Robbie? She loves her rats. <laughs> She's a rat lover. She's a rat lover. Welcome to Psychocinematic, the podcast where we analyse depictions of disability and mental illness in popular film and TV. I'm your host, Stephanie Fanasia. Please note this episode contains depictions of abuse and sexual assault. If this episode brings up anything for you, Lifeline is available on 131114 and 1800RESPECT on 1800-737-732. I'd like to start today by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land in which we record this podcast today, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We wish to pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge that this was is and always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome to the podcast, editing extraordinaire, oh, Nick Fanasia. Stop it. Thank you for having me. It's a, it's an honour to be back. Thanks for coming it's on. Been, it's been a while. It's, well, been a, it's been a long while. We were in a different house the last time we recorded. We, I remember that, yeah, we were. Oh, you were in a car. I was in a car <laughs> in Brisbane in the summer, like sweating buckets. And you were like sick the next day. Was I? You? I think. <laughs> on, on that note, mm. what are we doing today? Um, we're doing Requiem for a Dream, yes. directed by Darren Aronofsky. 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 What do, what do you think about Aronofsky as a, as a concept? He's an interesting director. I was thinking about him. He's one of those sort of auteur-y arthouse directors that no one really gets excited for one of his movies. He's not like do a, you? a Tarant- I do. I yeah. do personally. Because I, re- I do. I re- but like he doesn't have that sort of following like a Tarantino or yeah. a P.T. Anderson or someone. He's sort of on the edges but also dabbles in Hollywood. Like he's done some big budget stuff. Does some art house stuff, but he sort of flies under the radar a little bit. Mm. The, the actors in his films often get really, like he gets really good performances out of them. Like Dudley Portman won an Oscar. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't Mickey Rourke win an Oscar for The Wrestler? Yeah, yeah. You know, Ellen Burstyn was nominated for um, Best Actress or Supporting for this movie. So I, I like his movies, but I also think they're kind of trash at the same <laughs> time. <laughs> When I rewatched this movie, I, my first thought was this is like a film student's movie. Yes, like not yes. made by a film student, but it's, it's like... It's got that feel. It's one that you would do if you're a film student for an essay. Yes. It just it also just uses so many different shots, like the yeah. fisheye and the, the split it's, screen. It's, sort and of, it's got so much technique. It's just sort of... It feels like a young... Well, I think from what I've read in the interviews as well, and it feels like it's a young dude just throwing everything at the screen and seeing what sticks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and a lot of it works, I think. Well, it got pretty popular. It put him on the map. It, it put him on the map. It, um, I think it was a bit of a sensation. It's because it's like the quintessential addiction heroin sort of, you know, of recent times kind of movie that you sort of don't consider it because it's like, oh yeah, it's Requiem for a Dream. Yeah, it's which is of, why I didn't like immediately go, oh my god, we got to do Requiem yeah, for a Dream because it sort of just exists. It's sort of you know that's the standard of these addiction fucked up sort of films. But um, I just thought about it and then I sort of, it twigged in my mind that it's actually a bit shit. <laughs> <laughs> and I just wanted to talk about it because it's it's a topic that, well, it's close to everyone. Like everyone, everyone's addicted to their phones or, you know, good addictions, exercise, sport. So I think it's something that impacts everybody. I think it's sort of, Tries to say that, like, we're all addicted. Yeah. It's yeah. the addiction movie. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and that's from that's what Aronofsky said. He, he wanted to, you know, it's not particularly about 
being addicted to heroin or amphetamines. It's about humans being, you know, the being addicted to stuff. It's the striving to be something better or successful. The American dream. Yeah, a little bit of that stuff yeah. in there, uh, presented in this sort of schlocky, one-dimensional kind of shitty film. <laughs> <laughs> I do like it, but I also it's think- not a movie one likes though it's not a movie yeah. that you enjoy yeah. yeah i saw it i think my friend um from uni ethan waghorn shout out to wags hey wags um he <laughs> bought the um dvd for me and it's sort of one of those films that like when you're young it seems it's like kind of boogie nights or goodfellas it's like mm. bam in your face it impacts smash, you, you yeah. know different techniques it sort of overwhelms you and it sort of feels for a young person who I don't get grossed out by stuff too much, it just felt sort of cool. Yeah. And but I watched it once, and I was like, "That's enough." Um, <laughs> I never want to watch that yeah, again. Yeah, I don't really enjoy the story or the message, but the technique and mm. and sort of that kind of like, "Oh, this is a naughty film," you know, NC seventeen <laughs> in America, unrated kind of thing. It's yeah, unrated in Australia. Yeah. And that's where some of the controversy came from, wasn't it? Because it didn't get a rating Mm. because they didn't want to edit it down to get an R rating. Yeah. Because it would lose content. Yeah. And they want to be pure to to your vision, which I understand. I mean, if you're going to make a movie that's going to go for it, fucking go for it, you know? Show show ass to ass. (laughs) Show show a needle going into an arm where you can use your other fucking arm. (laughs) Uh, Anyways, I digress. I'm really glad we're focusing on it because we're also going to be doing a couple of Aronofsky films. Oh, really? Yes. And he's also said that his um, films are all autobiographical. They're all uh, autobiographical. Really? Yeah. So okay. without knowing too much, he's got some he's got some stuff going on. He's, he's got some <laughs> thoughts in his um, beautiful head, beautiful <laughs> auto head. Auto Anyways, head. I think he's a very interesting director. Like he's an entertainer as well. Like yeah, Black Swan definitely. is, you know, art housey shot on sixteen mil, like very, you know, handheld that sort of art house feel. But it's but it's you know, it's got Natalie Portman in it. It's sort of a Hollywood esque sort of entertainment film. It was film. pretty huge at the time. And I think it made a lot of money, yeah. Yeah. Good yeah, marketing. Pretty massive. But I think he's a good director, but I think he's a bit style over substance. But this is not a director podcast. This is a mental health podcast. So let's talk about that. I will just tell you where Requiem for a Dream came from. It's actually based on a quite, quote unquote, brutal, poetic 1978 novel by author Hubert Selby Jr. What a name. What a name. What a name. Hubert Selby Jr. (laughs) Hubert Selby Jr. He died in 2004. Um, He had also had a book from 1964, Last Exit to Brooklyn, which was already mm. adapted into a 1989 film. Aronofsky wanted to make this book into a film. He also met Hubert and mm. got guidance from him, and Hubert's actually in the film. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? He's one of the prison guards yelling at um, Marlon Wayans. Marlon Wayans yeah. as he vomits. <laughs> into yeah. the gruel or whatever it is. Mm. But it's funny. I was reading about how many actors passed on it because they read the book and were like, nah, fuck no. Mm. Mm. So in the end, the people in the movie weren't who Darren Aronofsky wanted in the first place. Yeah. But of course, our boy Jared Leto was like, mm. yeah, fuck yeah, I'm here. Mm. <laughs> I'm yeah, in. yeah. Jared. We'll get to Jared. We'll get to Jared. And it was pretty method the way that they... Mm, yeah, and I read that they had about um, eight weeks of rehearsal. Yeah, um, which, which is, is 
very so unusual and quite long. And I guess it shows up on screen with the performances. Yes. <laughs> no. I mean, it is, it is pretty well acted. Yeah. I think it's well acted. And as you said, like Ellen Burstein, everyone praises oh, her performance. She's the, the redeeming feature of the film, I think, Ellen yeah. Burstein and her character. I agree. Um, I, I kind of wish the movie was just about her in a way. What do you think about Jared? I just hate him. <laughs> well, I, I think I think he's, he's really... He's believable. He's believable. Yeah. I believed him in this, in this movie and, you know, he did his method thing, I think, which has evolved into this crazy method thing he's doing now, mm. like sending... I don't know if this is actually true, sending bullets to cast members when you play. No, I did read that, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And sent a rat to Margot Robbie. But haven't we all sent rats to Margot <laughs> Robbie? She loves her rats. <laughs> She's a rat lover. She's a rat lover. But, you know, I, I really enjoyed him in Panic Room. I thought he was. Oh, yeah, I forgot he I was in that. He, you know, he played a bit yeah. of a dick, but he played it well. And he's in Fight Club. He's you know, in his Fight Club. face fucking smashed him. <laughs> but I had no problem with him up he's until. He's a lot of things, eh? Hey? Yeah. I think what rubs me up the wrong way with Jared is he just seems the most pretentious and I know all actors are Mm. a bit pretentious but Mm. he just seems that extra level and there's just a list of predatory behavior that he's engaged with that women have spoken out about but he's had no you know that's not affected him no repercussions no criminal convictions but yeah I find that he he ruins um, movies that he's in like Blade Mm. Runner 2048 whatever it was I just well, hated his character. I must character. blank him out because I don't remember that no, he was in that. No, no, he is though. He's like the main fucking villain, I think. Yeah. Um, I just don't really like him. Um, and he's he's a shitty musician as well. I think I've heard a song or two, but it's just not my type of music anyway. No, so no. I can't really comment. No. People give a lot of actors shit for, for method acting. And mm. I've also read a lot of actors criticizing actors mm. for method acting recently. I think Brian Cox actually said something recently about like stop fucking method acting it's bullshit <laughs> fuck off fuck off but i mean if that is what you want to do and gets you in the role i have no problem with that if it doesn't impact anyone else but i think with him it impacts other people in some ways let's go into that a little bit later because i have yes. some other other thoughts on that fair enough fair enough Should we do the plot? Yes, let's do the plot of this movie. Originally a novel written in 1978 by Hubert Selby Jr., Requiem for a Dream was made into a movie by Darren Aronofsky in 2000. The story is about three friends and one friend's mother, who over the course of nine months, summer, fall, winter, which we see in black cuts in the movie, (laughs) it's summer, have have their lives destroyed by a drug addiction. Requiem for a Dream is well-loved for its haunting view on drug use, but it's also widely criticised for its extremely inaccurate and negative portrayal of normal medical procedures. So, to go more into the plot, Harry is a 20-something drug addict who routinely steals his long-suffering mother's TV to pawn it for money. His mother, Sarah, beautiful woman, is a timid and lonely shell of a woman who lives in a permanent state of denial. Her only concerns are to hide her son's condition from the world as much as from herself, being accepted by the neighbourhood's women and watching a television self-help infomercial show almost continually. One summer day, Harry and his best friend Tyrone, played by... Marlon Wayans. From Scary Movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I went into a little deep dive about the Wayans family. (laughs) Yeah, oh, they're huge, aren't they? They're massive. Yeah, Yeah. crazy. One summer day, Harry and his best friend Tyrone decide to not just be drug addicts, but also drug dealers with help from Harry's would-be fashion designer girlfriend, Marion. Marion's parents are unaware that she's quit seeing her psychologist, thanks to her occasionally dating the man, I assume sleeping with him too. I didn't realise that's the psychologist. Yeah, yeah. Holy shit. Oh, now I've got even more problems with this film. Yeah, yeah. 
eating eating the steak. Figure out who he was. Yeah, he's really annoying character. I didn't really. Well, that's, oh. that's the point, I guess. Oh, I'm mad. Um, so Sorry. she occasionally dates him, and I assume offers sexual favors to keep him quiet. And her parents routinely send her money, which Harry and Tyrone gladly make use of. With her consent, she's into it. She's into it as much as they are, I feel. She's as much of an addict as they are. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Often she's like, do you want to get high? Mm -hmm. Harry's dream is to help Marion start her own fashion store, which, he tells her, could be done with the money gained from selling drugs directly. Meanwhile, Sarah receives a phone call stating she'll have a chance to appear on television. Already somewhat mad from loneliness, she becomes fixated on fitting into her favourite red dress for the occasion. Failing to keep up with her diet, because she thinks she's overweight, and she's not really. No. Sarah sees an apathetic doctor who prescribes a regimen of extreme diet pills, I think amphetamines, sort of speed. Yeah. Which she quickly begins to abuse. Things collapse, though, within a matter of months for everyone. Gang warfare breaks out in the city over the drug trade, resulting in the major drug supply shutting down all sales of drugs, heroin, in the city. Tyrone is arrested, forcing Harry and Marion to use all of their ill-gotten money made dealing to bail Tyrone out. Marion, now cut off financially from her family, turns to sleeping with her psychiatrist and money for drugs, which now go for a premium on the street. And also sleeps with some other sort of high-endy people in a sort of sex party thing. Yeah, um, doesn't she go to Big Tim? Big Tim. And Who yeah. only, he ain't selling, it's only for pussy. Only for pussy. Meanwhile, Sarah begins a downward spiral, a crazy downward spiral into, it says here insanity, but I'm going to say psychosis. psychosis. Psychosis would be the correct term to yeah, use. Well yeah. done. <laughs> yeah, insanity, I don't really think that's a word to use. No. Due to her increasing addiction to the diet medication. She wants more. Uh, the doctor gives her more. Doesn't she say, though, like, the weight's fine, but I'm not fine? Does she say that? Yeah, she does. Well, mentally, maybe it's yeah. too up to the point where she's, she's trying she's to addicted. tell him, like, the side effects and he just gives her more. That's right, yeah. yeah. And I read um, Aronofsky's direction to that actor was don't look at her at mm. all in the scene. Yeah, and he doesn't. Um, and he doesn't, and he said it was the hardest direction he's ever had to do. Because oh, obviously wow. actors, you know, you've got to communicate, use, you know, emotions, yeah. but he just didn't look at her. And it, it's effective. In the end, all of them are left broken shells of their former selves by the ravages of addiction and the tragedy of their broken dreams. Jared Leto gets his arm um, amputated because uh, he shoots up and it gets infected. And he, he only shoots up in the same spot? Shoots up in the same spot. Um, Always. I've never shot up heroin, but I think there are many points <laughs> in your body where you can inject. It's it's the stu- no it's stupidest sense. thing. Um, Tyrone ends up in jail, sort of pining for the lost dreams of his mother yep. and him, which I think is sort of undercooked in the movie. That yeah. plot point. Oh, probably because he's the token black he's character, black so character. he doesn't he get doesn't, full story doesn't get a backstory. Yep. Sarah gets electroconvulsive therapy. Um, and she's pretty much like catatonic. She's catatonic. I find that, I mean, it's ridiculous, but I find that scene actually quite devastating. Yeah. Um, her performance is amazing. And Marion ends up sort of, well, you know, we see a happy... But she, after being gang raped. After being gang raped um, and she's sort of cradling money. So I thought she was cradling the drugs. That's what I thought. Oh, I thought was. she had money as well. Or maybe oh, it was her drugs. I mean, you know, what's the difference really? It's all sort of bad stuff. So, yeah, that's the plot. It's a little bit on the nose. It's a bit on the nose. I'll say it. It's a bit on the nose. I'm the first to say it. It's a bit silly. A I think it's silly. a bit... I think it thinks it's smarter than it is and I don't think it really offers much insight or nuance into addiction or how like, people get addicted i just don't think it's really i feel like good when i was attending a lutheran christian school 
in grade 12, if I was writing a script about drugs, mm. that would be the ending. Yes. Like it's a student. Student film. Student it's the, script. It's the most intense. Ridiculous. It's the most overblown. It's, you know, it's a melodrama really. Like Don't do drugs. For, yeah, exactly. Something I read described as an after-school special and we didn't yeah. have them in Australia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From but what I've the heard. Idea, yeah. yeah, that's yeah. exactly what it is. Yeah. I mean, I think it gets away with it because it's got a lot of visual technique. It's energetic. Mm. Good um, acting. Good acting. Um, it's sort of a salacious topic, drugs, drugs, drugs. There's, you know, there's sex, there's nudity, and it sort of punches you in the face. And I think yeah. that gets it across the line in terms of, wow, that's a good film. But it really, I just don't think it really adds anything. Don't think it really, the, the message, I don't know what the message is. Mm. We know drugs are bad. Don't yeah. do them. Don't do them. Don't, don't get do into them. it. Don't do them. I'll just take you through lived experience. And there's only a little bit, of course, that we know about them because there's only so much that they've said that I've found. As for Darren, I've already sort of mentioned a bit about him, Mr. Aronofsky, Mm. but he did say he was raised culturally Jewish, but there was very little spiritual attendance in Temple. That's all I found. Mm. (laughs) We don't even need to mention that really. No. Um, And just the thing, you know, he reckons he's – he puts himself in his movies, so clearly he's related to some things in here. But I haven't read anything about him having a history of addiction or no. anything. And in, and in sort of press and in interviews, he seems like a very sort of composed, you know, well just put a together man. Little, little weirdo. Just a little dude who obviously pours out all his internal demons, demons <laughs> into the page, into the script, into the film. It's good therapy for him, maybe. Well, if we all had $20 million to make a movie, we'd all be depression free. <laughs> Isn't there like a quote, like men will literally start wars instead of go to therapy? <laughs> Darren Aronofsky will spend $20 million on a movie instead he'll of make, therapy. He'll make a schlocky horror movie, yeah. <laughs> Marlon Wayans uh, didn't really find much about him, but he related to the character and like talked about it as like everybody has a deficiency and everybody has deep-seated pain that allows them to seek artificial elation. And he later on in life said that it was a lesson for him going through and making Requiem, especially at the time when he had this interview, he'd lost his mother. So reflecting back on it and understanding that there's never going to be anything to replace her. So I think he's sort of seeing drugs as the way to replace something Mm. that you're missing. Having said that's all, like he just had some really good reflections. Also, he told Will Smith to get therapy after he slapped Chris Rock. True. He said, go get therapy, man. Oh. (laughs) So. Decent advice. That's not bad advice, yeah. Decent advice, yeah. (laughs) Let's talk about Leto. Leto. He had a pretty fucked up life. I think he, he uh, before um, acting in this movie, he was addicted to drugs, I think, drugs and alcohol. Yeah, it said that, like, by the age of 16, he was considering becoming a drug dealer. Mm. And he dabbled in petty theft, but eventually came to a fork in the road where there was a moment involving a gun mm. and some cocaine that may have been a turning point for me. Yeah. So he's obviously very mysterious, like, mm. this was my life, man. Yeah. But that would turn you away. And his background, his dad left his family when he was a baby and died by suicide when he was eight years old. Oh, and Jesus. he moved around a lot as a kid and had a very hippie upbringing. So mm. that probably some trauma. Probably some trauma. And that description of him sounds a lot like Harry in the film. Yeah. No, no father, drug addicts. I think he... Probably a mum that couldn't really control him. Yeah, brought a lot of that to the role, I guess. I guess so. I guess. But one thing that I... Because there was a lot about what he put himself through to be yes. in this film. Yes, And he he said, it's a film that demanded authenticity and mm. truth. Yeah. And honesty. 
So he spent a lot of time with people in the East Village and he said, many of whom are no longer alive because they lost their battles to addiction. (laughs) Mm. And they were very supportive and helpful and generous with their time so that he could sort of get to know their experiences. And he said, there were nights that I spent basically homeless. So he really like lived the experience. Yeah, he did it. He went, went hard. And I just feel like that's a bit yuck. Like he's basically, Mm. he didn't get them any help or support. He just like mined their addiction so he could become essentially a megastar. Like, and he's like, yeah, they're they're dead now, but I'm rich and famous. Like, well, you know, I'll push back on that a little bit. Yeah, go on. Like, I don't think there's any malice involved in what he did. Um, I'm sure not. I mean, it's a fine line, isn't it? Like, what do you do as an actor to prepare for a role? Like, I think I also read that he injected himself with water just to sort of, just to, you know, do the process of, of shooting up. So just um, like getting, just having an IV drip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look, I don't know. At, at this stage in his life, he was quite young. I don't think, he, you know, he wasn't the megastar he is now. Mm. I do agree that, you know, if you're going to use people for inspiration or for, you know, authenticity and then sort of just say, thanks, bye, I think that's, I think it's a duty of care maybe there. Yeah. Um, I, it would have been, been nice for him to give back. Yeah. But I don't, what, I that, like, didn't what, read that he did. But, like, what would you have wanted him to do? Like, I don't know. Like, like what could he actually do? Given them some... Some money? Just get, got them into some sort of rehab program or something. That's or not Jared give, Leto's get, get him somewhere to role. live. Or. That's the guy. That's the society, you know. That's I not, know. But, it's not one actor's but role. are we going to... Let's hate on Jared Leto. Well, I'm, I'm not trying to defend him, but I no, just... but like maybe later on in his career, he could have sought them out. You know, once he's getting pretty, pretty, pretty popular, once he's got his nominations or whatever, maybe oh. then he could have been like, "Hey, you helped me, and look at me, and yeah, you're still true. an you addict got... on the street." I'll help you got to look back, and you got to, you got to, you got to, you got to look after people who helped you along the way, but. Because yeah, they were probably all dead. <laughs> they probably are all dead well, that's, now. Well, that's my problem. Uh, you know, he's 20-something years old. I'm not sure if he yeah, could it have been done failure. really anything. He wasn't the, the megastar he is now then. But it's I true. agree, you know, it is. It, it, there's a bit of an ick factor there. And just like he, he lost a bunch of weight. He felt the need to do that and basically not eat properly, like just mm. like snack on nuts and essentially like had disordered eating in the end of it and had a struggle in going back to like eating normally. Yeah. Um, Cause he also wanted to recreate that feeling of hunger mm. and a craving, craving. craving that's it. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's a little trick. Little it is a, little, it is a little trick. trick. Is it worth putting your body through it though? He, he had to actually check himself into a recovery program. Oh, did he? Yeah. Well, he's, you know, he gained a lot of weight for that. Sh- like he's, he's got a history of gaining weight, yeah, losing for, weight. What's that Chapter or yeah, the one. Chapman. The one, the one where he kills John Lennon, right? Yeah. Yeah. Where he's he playing really Mark fat. David Chapman. He put on a lot of weight. Yeah, he did. That's what he does. Christian Bale does that a lot too. Okay, so here's my problem with, with doing the whole method acting thing. Okay. It feels like putting on a really intense costume when you could have got someone with that lived experience or with that body size, body type, background, mm-hmm. whatever, to play the role who probably would have done just as good a job. Mm. Like Mark David Chapman could be played by someone yeah. who's a bit larger. Yeah. And that would be nice, you know? I mean, I think, I mean, that movie's probably shit and he's probably shit in the movie. But, you know, in the director's mind, he's the right actor for the role. Yeah. He's the right person to portray this character. He's mm-hmm. going to put on weight and do it. Maybe it does. I think there's a lot of factors that go but into like, it. But, like, actors are a dime a dozen. Yeah, but you need an actor who's going to sell the movie, who's going to get people to watch it. Yeah. Well, I don't think anyone watched that movie anyway, no. even with Jared Leto. Well, yeah, yeah. That's, that's by the by. What about, what about an actor who, you know, has to lose weight over the course of the movie? Like, you know. Yeah, that's I different. I think he gets emaciated 
He loses a bit of weight, doesn't he? Throughout the movie? Yeah, yeah. Well, Ellen Burstyn definitely does. She lost. She had to wear two fat suits. Two fat suits. And and then then after that, lose 10 pounds in like 10 days or something. And people have real problems with wearing fat suits, which I I do understand. It is, obviously it is different when you're having to lose weight throughout a role or gain weight. But when you've got a fat actor who could play a role or put someone in a fat suit, stop denying fat actors' roles when they're perfectly capable. Yeah, absolutely. Should we move on to. Let's talk about Ellen Burstyn. Oh. Oh, she had a really... Yeah, talk um, about her because she relates to it, doesn't have it. Yeah, her husband had schizophrenia and went in. It was in and out of institutions, so she went on that journey with him. Mm. She eventually divorced him in 1972 um, and he stalked her for six years after wow, that. Wow, didn't know that. And then he broke into her house and raped her, which is fucked. Oh, my God. And then in 1978 he... Ended his life by suicide. Jesus. So. What a journey. That's fun. She's been through a lot. She's been through a lot. What a survivor. Poor thing. To prepare for the role, she researched troubled women in Brooklyn. <laughs> troubled <laughs> what is women. Google? <laughs> Go to the library. I want a book on troubled, troubled women, women in Brooklyn. Specifically Hello, in this place. Any troubled women around here? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, tried to get their speech patterns as well and mm. their outlook on life, which is just like getting enough money to put food on the table. Again, yeah. like, you know, I don't know what that's like, so I'm going to put myself in it. But I like her more than Jared Leto. Yeah, she's, she's more likable. So I was like, it's fine. You can do it. And it makes sense, like, I'm going to be on the television, like the oh way she talks. Oh, my God. Do you not like her No, I accent? love her. No, I love her. It makes okay. me so sad that you did that really good. I'm lonely. I'm be- <laughs> it's a reason to get up and mow. <laughs> yeah. It's a reason to put on the red dress. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was that was a really good scene, Yeah, that scene. And I read that um, Aronofsky thought that was sort of the crux. That was the sort yeah. of central point of the movie, that monologue. And um, one of the camera guys like went out of shot because yeah. he was crying yeah yeah <laughs> he couldn't see the cinematographer Aww. yeah went the viewfinder went foggy mm. so but that they had to use that take so it's a bit had soft to. it's a bit out of focus yeah oh, Connolly. jennifer Connolly didn't hear or read much about mental health but like she was a child actress mm. clearly mm. labyrinth i thought labyrinth. was her first movie but no she yeah. was in stuff before that um she's had a funny career she sort of pops up every now and then yeah. which has never been and huge then she doesn't do much for a while and she's yeah. in like uh, she's in Top Gun. She's just not that into you. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Is she in Top Gun? I think she's a love interest in Top Gun. Maverick. Yeah. Oh. Because she, <laughs> I've read a quote from her that said she's not in a lot of like rom coms because she's got a resting bitch face. Like oh. she's, she's too serious looking. <laughs> that that's what she said about herself. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Which fair yeah. enough. She does. <laughs> it's funny though. Like, I was just reading about how everyone sort of interacted on set and who went method and who didn't. Mm, yeah. Jennifer. Could not go method because she was breastfeeding. She just had a newborn. So she couldn't just stay in the same character all the time mm. because she had to be a mum. Yeah. And that would have been bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's the fucking patriarchy in action right there. <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean? What are you talking about? You can't. Explain. You, like if Jared Leto had a baby, he would have been fine. Yeah. Because he wasn't the primary carer and mm. breastfeeding. Oh, true, true. But Jennifer Connolly, breastfeeding, new mum. Oh. Is expected to be the mother. She can't go method. But, well, I think that's cool that she put it. Oh, it's cool. It's, it's absolutely a- cool. I wouldn't have expected. She's also skinny as shit in this mm, film. Like mm. she just had a baby. And what? Cool for it. Like she, she really exposes herself in the movie. True. It is cool, but it's also yeah interesting. It's interesting. It's interesting. interesting. Reflective of the society that we live in. Um, and I also read um, the dynamics on set. Like it was a bit combative. Yeah. It was a bit. Yeah, it was really um, intense. Which I think I think Jennifer Connolly said 
which sort of aided the film because it was that kind of film. But I think just Jared's quite method. She's quite not. I read that. Um, different styles of acting. Different styles of acting. He's really good in the first one, two, three takes. And she takes a while to warm up. So she's her peak performances in take four, five, and six. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and so it was a challenge to sort of get them both on the same page and the same take. So I think that was a bit of tension there. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it probably like, you know, in quotes, helped the film because that's what the film's about. Yeah. You know, volatile relationships. Yeah. Clashing. Clashing. Clash. All right, let's do accuracy. How accurate is the dialogue in the film? It seems a bit on the nose. Like, okay, we're going to get off hard knocks and be on easy street. Yeah. And you're making a croaker for speed, ain't you? <laughs> and just You like, want oppers? You want oppers? You want oppers? You want oppers? They're like, we should dip in now. And like, you want me to put watch you push off and not go myself? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I honestly didn't have a problem with the dialogue, but like, like, did I need you it. find it a bit I, a I always bit have on subtitles. On for oh, yeah, podcast movies, mm. but if I didn't, wouldn't have known what they were talking yeah, about. Yeah, true, true, true. I just didn't. Um, Marlon Wayans have a yeah problem. Yeah. He was like, "Why is this guy talking like, like that? Like, we're in the seventies. Yeah, yeah. Why is a black guy talking like he's in the nineteen seventies? This is stereotypical." But I got what he was saying. It's a new cool. Yeah, I don't understand. I don't have the context. I don't have yeah. the general. I don't understand. I don't really know what that means. It was an era and a place. That. Yeah, very specific, New York. We obviously haven't researched enough to find out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is a bit on the nodes. It is a bit cringy at, some, at, at points. Well, I did read um, that he purposefully didn't use the names for the drugs that they were using. Yeah, because this film is supposed to be about addiction in general. Yes. That's what I keep on reading. Not about heroin. heroin. And they never really say heroin. And I, I was no. confused as to actually what they were taking mm. when I first saw it because it's not, really, not really explained. Um, yeah. But I think it is just heroin. I don't think... Oh, they snort some stuff, so I think it's a bit They do, and they take pills every now and then. Pills, but I think that's like oxy. I think that's like opioids as well. So I think that's sort of just a continuation of that that opioid high. And, of course, every time they take it, it's like... And I was I was hoping to research was it was was that the originator of that sort of quick cutting oh. because you know you see that everywhere now like I think even in like BoJack Horseman you know it's you know like so it's um and they call it a hip hop montage uh yeah they, yeah they were inspired by hip hop in this film a lot I think with the soundtrack like the breaks the breaks yes mm. and I was just interested is that sort of the first because you sort of see it in a lot of films now. Mm. Since this movie, and I think maybe it, it was the, it was the originator of that. Like I'm doing drugs, pew, pew, pew. and it's like a montage that says they were sober and now they're high. Yeah, so they're high. Yeah, you see yeah. sort of before and then after. I did read though that it's not the most accurate, like the dilation of the pupils. Like that happens pupils. in pretty much everything, but they tend to actually pupils constrict are supposed to constrict. Yeah, when you take heroin, <laughs> but it's just like an easy visual motif of like. My eyes expanding, you know, but, it, but it's wrong. <laughs> but it's kind of like like they're in a car and they're pushed backwards, like, yeah. there's the drugs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a little bit over the top. It's a bit over the top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's the style. Yeah. I do like how, you know, at the start of the movie, it shows the drug experience as a pleasurable one. Yeah. You know, they're DJing, they're having fun, and that's, you know, how drugs get you. You're having fun with friends. You're sociable. Yeah. yeah. Um, having a party. Having a party. Everyone's doing it. It's fun. And then you do it more and more and you become more insular. And it's not about the social aspect. It's about you need the fix because you need to feel this way. And I think it does show that progression um, accurately. I like how it shows drug. It doesn't glamorize it. 
but it does it just definitely show, doesn't glamorize it doesn't it. glamorize it but it just shows them chilling out it's sort of like this bird's eye point of view wide shot of them it's, it's not really a, a flashy scene i think when they're sort of just djing around and dancing mm. so i think i like the fact that it shows yeah they have fun on with with drugs with the relationship with marion and Harry, it's sort of like drugs enhance their relationship. There's yeah. that very sensuous scene with the split mm. screen where they're touching bits of exactly, that. And obviously yeah. they're they're really blissing out. And then in the end, the drugs sort of end their relationship. Yeah, exactly. It's like what drives the relationship yeah. apart. Yeah. Mm. Can I talk about my opioid experience? Yes, please. Yes. I've been addicted to opioids. <laughs> Hello, I'm Nicholas. Hello, and I'm, I'm Nicholas. I had cancer I had a tumor in my belly and it was very painful the worst pain I've ever experienced it's really like you know, people say oh, I was painful it was like it was painful mm-hmm. and because when you have cancer they just throw out drugs at you like crazy the doc when I first got diagnosed a doctor gave me a script for 20 endone mm. oxy heroin morphine you know same, same 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 all the same thing you know it's all the same mechanism yeah exactly the liver converts into morphine if you take a bit more than you're supposed to you feel good you feel at peace. And it's a very stressful time for mm. me. It was a very stressful time for me. I thought I was going to die. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was bad for everyone. And um, I just sort of realized if I take a couple more, life's okay for a bit. And mm. just having that relief after being, you know, stressed 24-7, seven days a week, um, it was just a nice breather. And that's, you know, it's – I don't want to overstate it, but it's – the most pleasurable experience in the world. <laughs> it's really nice. It's really nice. Mm. You feel it's like everyone describes that's it. As, why, that's why people that's do why drugs. People do it. It's it like, feels good. It's like I've read descriptions on Reddit. It's like God hugging you or it's like mm. a warm bath or a warm blanket. And that's very accurate. It mm. just feels like you are going to be okay and your anxiety has gone. And then, you know, you take a little bit. Um, it wears off. You want that fix again. You take a bit more. You need to take more and more. Mm-hmm. Um, it adds to your stress when mm. you you know you come down and you're addicted so you need to take more and more and I got to a point where you know I wasn't taking it every day I never did heroin but I once I didn't get those scripts anymore from the doctors I sought out other means to get opioids because I just wanted to feel okay for a bit mm. um so I think Requiem for a Dream depicts that accurately I think mm. it starts mm. out as a, a thing to sort of chill out a sociable thing to fill a hole, a gap in your life, mm. but then it just progresses and addiction takes over and your brain, it's just your brain craves more and more. So, yeah, I found that quite accurate. You searched out in other means and I guess obviously when Requiem for a Dream came out, there wasn't the internet black market or yeah. whatever, Yeah, <laughs> the dark web. Yeah. What was their way of seeking out other means? Was that accurate, do you think? Like it gets really, really dark and a really bad place. Well, they get to a point where that's all they can think about. Yeah. And they get so desperate, which I found accurate. Like obviously it's heightened to a crazy amount or maybe they're just so addicted at that point. I think that's accurate. I think we hear stories of people who Mm. go down similar tracks. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. I never got that bad, but once you're sort of hooked, it's always in the back of your mind, how do I get some, when can I get some, I'm feeling shitty. It makes you feel shittier not having it and not knowing that you can get it. So I understand, like I I relate to that, like we have no drugs, we need to get drugs. And they do, you do crazy things to get drugs. Like Marion essentially gets raped or, you know, sells her body, uses her body. Well, she, I guess she becomes a sex worker. Yeah. Which is not a bad thing, it's not really. It's a bad thing. It's not it's, a bad thing. If it's done for the right it's reasons. It's definitely seen in this movie as a bad thing. It is. Portrayed it's in a positive way at all. 
is displayed as the worst, like, you know, that's the climax of the movie. It's the worst thing that's ever happened to her. But it um, also doesn't seem like that last scene was consensual no. at all. So there's that. Well, it's sort of like, I think she's just doing whatever she has to do because she knows she'll get a fix. Yeah. She, you know, I never was at that point, but I was, you know, a very low level of like, you know, how to, it just consumes your life and it turns, it sort of changes to something that makes you feel happy to something that you just need. It's like water or something. Or it's you, just the thing that you need thing. to get. And this isn't anything new. I'm not trying to be profound or anything, but yeah. Because you just, it just, you feel, you feel okay for a bit and that's what everyone wants, right? To just feel at peace. Yeah. Gives you peace. So, um, I feel like we will eventually do Euphoria, but I've been watching Euphoria mm, mm. and I feel like Rue says it a lot in like, she's felt anxious her whole life mm. and then drugs is the, like the only time that she's not yeah. anxious. Yeah. Yeah. And me being, I think I have had undiagnosed general anxiety disorder my whole life. I, I mean, feel. we all have we it all in have this it. family. <laughs> we all have it. So I'm surprised um. <laughs> you weren't diagnosed yet. No, well, I think because I'm just a very like, mm, don't want to cause a fuss. So I just, you know, have coped up until cancer. I coped with it just and then cancer tipped me over to the edge of like just intense. Fair no, enough. Fair, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's that feeling of you've been anxious your whole life and then you have this thing that relieves it. It's a miracle. Mm. It's like, oh my you God. You just want it all the time. It's all the time, but it's not healthy. It leads, it's, yeah, it's not the right way to deal with it. Well, it would be great if it didn't come with the, you know, tolerance and withdrawal mm. and negative impacts on your body and life. Yeah. And it's funny, all these new drugs come out, you know, like when benzos came out, it was like, yeah, prescribe them. They're great. Yeah. And then, oh, oh they're shit. addictive. They're actually really bad for you. It's like, duh, they're fucking addictive. How did you not know? Also, you end up like having liver problems. Yeah. And, yeah. All these sort of new classes of drugs come out and- People don't tread lightly to start with. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> or have And it just, you know, come on. No drug's going to cure that. Yeah. Well, Thank you for sharing That's your story okay. that I already obviously know, but mm. to the world. To the world. To the world. So it yeah. sounds like in terms of that, it was pretty accurate in pretty your accurate. opinion. Yeah. 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 And also found it accurate. You see them doing increasingly um, riskier and more mm. dangerous things that mm. you would not do um, if you were sober or not mm. on drugs. Yeah. Like at the beginning, they're kind of like pull the alarm in, a, in an abandoned mm. building. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then it moves to like... It progresses. It's yeah. like, let's become dealers. Yeah. I thought for a second of becoming an MDMA dealer. Really? <laughs> when, yeah, for a second. Didn't do it. But you, you think things that you would never think normally yeah. because you're just focused on this world of, you know, drugs, 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 where am I going to get my next fix? Can you imagine um, with our parents having <laughs> to hide that? <laughs> Mum would be like, oh, he's an MDMA dealer. <laughs> he's making it real he's big. making a lot of money. <laughs> um, I thought about it for a second. So you just, you, the increasingly riskier things, I think that's very true to life. Things that you would never do mm. um, if you weren't in this situation. Yeah. Going to drug deals, that guy gets shot. Going to a, a supermarket to to score at Christmas time or whatever, you know, mm. that scene. Speaking of that yes. scene. The extras? Sorry. The extras? I guess if we go to the extras, what? So a lot of the extras in that scene were drug dealers off the streets. Okay, so <laughs> like how accurate would that be of every drug dealer in the city going to one place to get drugs? Like isn't that the riskiest thing ever? Like a that- whole group of people like surely – there would be some mole in there that the police mm. would be like, jackpot. That scene, Let's arrest everybody. That scene is ridiculous. I don't know what that scene is doing in the movie. Because it doesn't seem that hidden. It's, like, it's not underground. It's, it's the after school special <laughs> part of it, isn't it? It's. But they don't get 
they're arrested. in a they're in an open supermarket at the loading dock, and then a guy they the trailer opens up, and there's a and guy sitting there in line to buy drugs. Yeah, I don't it's know. Just, if and that's there's like cases of drugs and drugs. money there, like set up what? like a little stall or something. That's fucked. I I don't know about the accuracy of that. I assume that's not very but, accurate. And that, in any age, that scene sticks out as a fucking ridiculous <laughs> scene that just. Has no basis in reality. And then, like, someone shoots a gun. Yeah. Unnecessarily. Yeah. It's stupid. And there's, oh, that's what breaks it up? Yeah. Like, surely wouldn't it be police? Yeah. Or if someone shoots a gun, you'd just be like, well, I still want my drugs. Can you not shoot the gun, please? And also, apparently, I read, I don't know if this is true, I read that a lot of those extras were um, junkies, which I hate that word. They got off the street to be in the scene, which I think is bad. Well, yeah, that's also just mining people. I mean, obviously, I their like lived that. experience. Yeah. <laughs> but also, like, did they realise what they were there for? Like, they're just kind of they using probably them. had no context of the wider film or anything. Did I don't know. It's, and I don't think you need. I hope they it's paid just, them. It's just people mingling around in a group. You don't need to get people no. to the street for authenticity. I thought that was a bit gross. I think that's probably my biggest. We're moving into stereotypical sort of territory. But, you know, at, the, at first, you know, Marion and Harry are very – and, and and Ellen, all of the characters are very, they look like you and me. They're, they're not the average your giant. average junkie, yeah. quote unquote, yeah. sort of looking person. But it does move the the house that Marion or whoever's living in is like, you know, there's lots of exposed wall and like mm. gritty and dirty It looks like areas. a shitty film it school looked, set. Yeah. Is what is, mm. Yeah. yeah like some of the sets are pretty like basic. It's like corrugated iron or something. Yeah. Like, it looks fucked. And it's it's very much that stereotype of like junkies are dirty. They don't yeah. have things. They've got just like an empty room to shoot up in and yeah. lie around in and Sh- stuff yeah, like that. Sleep on the floor, shit everywhere, no no belongings. It's just yeah. not very nuanced. Again. No, it just goes straight for the. Uh, this is a stereotype thing. Go straight for the stereotype of where junkies the dirty live. Junkie, yeah. I mean, junkies are. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to use that word anymore. People who are addicted to <laughs> drugs. <laughs> you know, they they're lawyers. They're doctors. They're, they're very functioning people. They're, yeah. you know, fucking they're politicians like who snort coke in. So it goes straight for that. Exactly. You know, dirty, tiny apartment, uh, blah, 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 sort of crap, which it was probably, probably popularised it more than ripped it off from other things. Well, I think there was a lot of movies that came out around that time that was similar, like had yeah. that similar sort of aesthetic. Yeah. Can't name them right now, but I'm sure. Go. 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 Yeah. But that was more of a comedy. And train spotting, of train course. Spotting, yeah. Like that house they're all in. Ugh. Train spotting, I think, is like the opposite of this movie. I think it's so much more hopeful. Well, just more nuanced and more, it feels like. You like care about the characters. These characters more. feel like just empty ciphers for, like, mm. you know, a message. Whereas in train spotting, you know, I think you get a real sense of character. Yeah, I agree. Um, anyways. Because we haven't talked much about um, Sarah Ellen Burstyn's character. No. Um, like I said before, I feel like there's a more interesting movie where it's her experience yeah. getting accidentally addicted to, yeah. Yeah. to a drug prescribed by an incompetent doctor. Yeah. I, Which is probably more in line with your experience, although you were prescribed them accurately by a yeah, competent doctor. Yeah, competent doctor. But unfortunately. You know, with all the right intentions. Commonly. Yeah. You yeah, yeah, yeah. Became addicted. And I think prior to that, I probably had it. An addictive personality, anyways. So I'm gonna predisposition. If, if someone gives me a drug that I read, it's gonna get me a bit high. Fuck yeah, I'm taking some. <laughs> like I don't know, it's just 
fuck it. Um, <laughs> but um, her taking these drugs, not knowing that they are quite addictive and then just getting in that addiction or cycle. Or not even really knowing what they were. Not even know what they were. Yeah. Yeah, which I know it's a bit cliche, the whole doctor being like, take these pills. But yeah. that probably does probably happen. Probably happens a lot, yeah. Probably, I feel like especially in America. It's yeah. a very sort of, maybe in Australia too probably, but I feel like in America it's a very, take a pill, you'll be well, all right. Well, it's very much like... If you say the right thing to a doctor and they're not savvy enough, you could probably get what you need. Get what you need, especially if you're sort of an elderly woman who doesn't look like someone who, like, needs a score. Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, give her this drug, she'll go away, she'll be fine. Yeah. But I found her, you know, apart from the fucking ridiculous psychosis stuff that happens the in the fridge. end. Oh, the yeah, fridge. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if, well. Going into the TV set and stuff. Yeah, but her unknowingly getting addicted to these drugs, I think, is is accurate. I think that's kind of also what happened with me a little bit. Yeah. yeah. I think, too, like, her story is a little bit more. Like, I feel like Marion and Harry is, like, they have all these big dreams, but they squander it because of drugs. Mm. And her story is, like, she is lonely. She wants something to wake up yeah. to and to yeah. get excited about. She misses her husband and she has all these hopes and dreams for a son. And she... You know, it feels like she's not in a prime anymore. She's just old mm, yeah. and unattractive and she's, you know, got nothing to sort of live for. She becomes sort of fixated and immersed in this idea that she's going to go back there into the, the prime of her life if mm. she just loses weight and yeah. ends up on TV. Yeah, yeah. Which is kind of a relatable story, I'm sure, for a lot of mm. people in her yeah. kind of position. Yeah, yeah. I think it's relatable for sort of everyone. For, like, yeah, for everyone. Everyone's feel- sort of... Feels like there was skinnier yeah. back you, then. To get a bit older and you're not <laughs> looking as good as you were, you just get back to that. Yeah, and like you know, if I'm on TV, everyone's gonna love me. Mm. You know. But her her addictions. So she sort of had addictions prior to taking the to the pills. like food and TV. Yeah, I think yeah. it's implied in the movie that she she's already got that she addictive loves her personality. Um, yeah, yeah. But when, there's that scene where she um, sits down in front of her TV, she opens a chocolate box. Oh, and she like funnels them. Funnels them. And I wrote <laughs> like a, in my notes. Like it's a nipple. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like Forrest Gump, like, which chocolate? I wrote in my notes, like, fucking eat the chocolates, bitch. You deserve <laughs> it. You're an old lady. Yeah. You're an elderly lady. Exactly. Just she enjoy eats it. a lot of food. Fucking eat food. Yeah. I was like, bitch, just, just eat it. You're fine. You're Ellen Burstyn. I do like that part of the film in that it's like, it's making a point about diet culture and like mm. Tappy, the thing that she watches, yeah. the juice is like, I I worked hard and I became the person who I am. It's all that yeah. inspirational, yeah, that's inspiration, self-healthy crap. Yeah. That, you know, society wants to sell you. All you need to do is lose this weight and you'll be happy. Yeah. And like, it doesn't, that's not how it no, works. No, no. Yeah. It's, that isn't success. No. Fitting into that dress. No. Isn't success. No, no, no. And that's her goal to fit into the dress. Mm. And, but that's, that's not really the solution. Yeah. You've got to be happy within yourself. Exactly. And she's obviously a broken, sad woman with a son who kind of abu- uses her. Abuses her. Abuses yeah. her. Yeah. He's a shitty son. But also that monologue. He scene, does care about he her does at the care same about time. Her. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he's a because she's making a croaker for speed, ain't you? <laughs> and he doesn't want that. <laughs> when she's grinding her teeth, that noise. I'm like, <laughs> oh god. Did you ever? Did that happen to you? Well, I never took. I Are never you, took. You were uppers. You were no, downers. Downers. Yeah, downer voice. But I do like my uppers. Shout out to cocaine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that's more like your party. Party drugs. drugs. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm. You know, those kind of drugs just make me anxious. More anxious. Yeah. I mean, I get a bit of a high, but then the the, the crash is just no. Yeah. No. So I'm not really into that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I found that sort of trend, you know, that accidental transition, I think that's very relatable. Yeah. Probably very, very common. Extremely common. 
Definitely. Um, and I thought that was way more interesting than sort of the kids subplot. The kids, the, yeah. The, the, kids, the kids, you know, A plot. Let's talk about how inaccurate Sorry, it's gone forever. her downfall is. Yeah, absolutely ridiculous. It's just such a negative portrayal about doctors in general. But mm. the fact that they give her, firstly, that they force feed her. Well, can I just say, so I'm confused about the timeline I'm of so this. I'm so confused about the timeline. Because... It seems like all this happens in that end climax, you know, last half hour happens in a couple of days. They're traveling to Florida and stuff. But she's instead of institutionalized, they're like, we've tried everything, so let's shock you. Like, wouldn't that happen over a course of months? You would think so. Also, they would probably be in contact with someone else. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm assuming her son Mm -hmm. would be like her next of kin for a start. If they can't find the son, they'd probably look for people she knows. I mean, we don't know where and what, you know, this is the 90s, but, you know, who knows what, it's 2000. There would be a process before going to such extreme Extreme. uh, measures. Yeah, It's sort of like, this is the last resort. We're going to shock you. It's like she just finds herself in this hospital because she gets arrested. Yeah. And they just do what they want with her. Like there's absolutely no autonomy or choice. Mm. And in in a hospital in America, and that would cost money, Mm. um, I don't Mm. think it would be that accurate. No, I really don't know. But it just seems way, way over the top. Over the top, yeah. And just sort of. Yeah, used for shock value. And also I'm not sure what that like they never say what they're treating her for. Yeah. Because if it's drug withdrawal, why would you use ECT? Yeah. Don't know. Which is she in that psychotic state? Also not sure how ECT if there's research into that. Maybe I'm wrong. I didn't do the research. ECT is generally usually used for depression. 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 She doesn't present as someone who's just depressed. Depressed. It's not it's not depression. She's not Failing to get out of bed. She's not, not taking care of herself in that depressive way. Or maybe she is, but we didn't see it. But it's great. I, I think the movie screams psychosis. Yes. She's lost her mind. Yes. She's not in touch with reality. I don't know if taking a large dose of diet pills would lead you to that state. I I'm mean. Not, I don't know enough she's, about it. We can assume that she's not eating. Yeah. She might not be drinking water or maybe mm. she's over, you know, sometimes with. Amphetamines, you can over drink water. Yeah, as yeah, well. yeah, yeah. Um, not that that means anything, but she's probably, there's probably a few factors that are stopping. She might not be sleeping as yeah. well. All of these things could lead to psychosis. But for, for, sure. for me, I don't like, you need Michael here to, to sort of comment on this, but. We do. Where is he? <laughs> where is he? But I assume she presents at the hospital. You'd give her a drip. You'd sedate her, I guess. You'd deal with withdrawals from. Um, you know, the amphetamine use. Yep. Wouldn't she get better? Wouldn't she respond? You would expect. But, again, there could be some mental illness behind that as yeah. well. The fact that she's so fixated on. She becomes point, obsessed. She becomes obsessed. And there's a point where it sounds like when she's having that conversation with Jared Leto in her kitchen that she knows that it's not real. Like yeah. that she's not going to be on yeah, TV. Yeah, yeah. Deep down she knows that yeah. it's, it's all a bit of an illusion but she – it but it's like by the meaning. end of the film, she's completely immersed in that reality. Yeah. And, you know, she believes she's on TV in a few yeah. points too. So she could really be going through a psychotic state outside of the, the drugs. Mm. But the food, water yeah. and withdrawal, you'd likely to see some improvement. Yeah, some improvement, yeah. yeah. They sort of prop her up and decide to like shovel food in her mouth. Yeah, and the, and the I've got to say guards, the, the the nurses are just ignoring her and like and shoveling, they're chatting like they to each s- other. They strap her down and force her, and it's just like I don't think you would 
do that in it, an America American hospital in the 2000s, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, yeah, it just it doesn't seem plausible. And it's sort of that stereotype of the psych ward, you know, they just shove it in, shove, take shove the a pill, tube up your nose. Yeah, no respect for the, the patient. Um, but I feel like she just got there. I know. I don't know. They she don't, just got into the hospital. They don't even know who she is or where she yeah. came from. And like, uh, you know, I'm sure there are experiences just like this. Like, I, I've spoken a in the podcast before about some of the awful stats around uh, restraint and seclusion in hospitals, mm. in mental health institutions. It's quite, there's lots of bad things that can happen. Yeah. But I think in the terms of this film, it's not just probably inaccurate how bad it is, but it's also really damaging to, mm. for anyone who has gone through or, or is going through what she's gone through to think, oh, well, I can't go to hospital, even though that's no. probably where they need to go because they're going to treat me like, you know, a piece of shit. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. The climax for all the other characters are these really dangerous, mm. terrible situations. Jared Leto is getting his arm chopped off. Mm. Um, Marion's having ass-to-ass sex in front of a group of people. Mm. Tyrone's in prison. But um, – Sarah's climax, she's in a hospital, which is supposed to be a caring, nurturing space. Yeah. And the message is she is, like, they essentially make her worse, 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 yeah. worse until she's catatonic and a shell of who and no she was. Yeah, no one, like she's just, through no fault of her own has got here. Yeah. It yeah. sort of demonizes the hospital system or something. Like, Yeah, it's like Sarah's storyline is like, she didn't really do anything wrong. She's no. just taken the prompts that society's given her, but everyone else, it's like they've chosen that yeah. life for yeah, themselves yeah, exactly. yeah, and yeah. they should feel bad. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. What does that mean? I don't know what it means. <laughs> I don't think Aronofsky knows what it means. I think he's just throwing shit at the Maybe wall it's just not it that sticks. deep, bro. I don't think it's deep at all, to be honest. And with ECT, um, just to have another little side, yeah, side yeah. point, I um, directed and – interviewed and edited uh, um, informational video for, I think it was Gold Coast Hospital mm. on the benefits of ECT. Mm. We interviewed um, the doctor who does the procedure, we interviewed nurses, we interviewed um, patients who had major depression. Obviously, um, this was sort of, you know, the last line. What do you, yeah. what do you call it? The, like when all other options haven't yeah, worked, it's your last, strategy, yeah. last resort. They weren't responding to any other medication, any other methods. So ECT has been an option that they agreed to and they used and all it sounds you know it sounds scary but all the people i interviewed who had undergone the ecd procedure like you know regularly they said it's life-saving they said mm. it changed their life they were a shell of themselves before and now one of them described it as all the lights turned on and i could all the colors came back and i could taste and mm. so it seems like it's quite a it's it's not very well understood i think no we don't really know why don't it really works why. something about maybe neural pathways getting just resetting yeah. yeah so resets the brain but um for them it saved their lives and mm. i was i was like what the fuck like i thought this was you know like the, the wizard of What's that? Oh, Return to Oz. Return to Oz. And, <laughs> you know, you just. One floor over the cuckoo's nest. Well, of yeah. course. One floor, yeah, you know, it's this demonized thing, but apparently it's a, it sort of can be a, a lifesaver for people who have major depression. So mm. I don't know. I just feel like it's it's chucked in this movie as this thing. It's almost and, used to and, her for as a punishment for her. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, it's sort of chucked in there as like, what's the worst thing that can happen? Like, you know, we need a climax. Yeah. We're going to fucking shock her. And it's just it's going to be really painful. Really painful. And I actually witnessed a patient undergoing ECT. Maybe it's changed a lot, but it was very quick. 
Um, the body does have a seizure. That's what it causes muscles to do. But it wasn't anything like her shaking her head, clenching her teeth. Well, usually they're – are they sedated? Yeah. They're yeah. Gen- general, she wouldn't be awake. General anesthesia. Yeah. Um, it's really quick, just a couple of pulses. Um, they do have seizures. Um, the body tenses up five minutes and then they just recover for the rest mm. of the day. Nothing like I don't. It's probably an well, old. Well, what we see in that film is very similar to what you see in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which mm. is in the sixties. This is two thousand. Exactly. So it's definitely improved since yeah. then. <laughs> yeah. And like you said, it is sort of seen as a punishment. This is her punishment for yeah. being a drug a- addict, addicted, to addicted drugs. to drugs. And it's just you know, I just, I don't, I don't see how they would get to that point so quickly. Where you're not. One of the doctors says you're not responding to anything. Yeah. So this is, but like. Has she been there for two days or has she been there for a month? Because, yeah, for everyone else it's pretty quick. Pretty quick. So the timeline confuses me. But it was really – it had to all happen at the same time so you got that cool shot of everyone in the fetal position. Everyone in the fetal (laughs) position, yes. Yeah, Yeah. that's the thing that annoyed me maybe the most is the portrayal of therapeutic treatment for her. Yeah. Just really – so inaccurate and so bad. It's it's almost it gets more and more violent. Yes, she's like she's um, violated. Yes, every you know to a more extreme every all time. All of her rights and all of her sense of humanity is mm, taken away taken bit away, by bit. Yeah, like she doesn't really even speak towards the end. And and you, you just read in the before in the the plot that she's a shell of a woman. Mm. Well, she's a bloody shell of a woman she's, by the she's end a of it. Shell of a shell. Shell of a shell. Another thing I thought was inaccurate and. Probably just put in as a plot point to present the climax of Harry's journey mm. was his infected arm. Mm, mm. I just think. Um, oh, Michael! I just want to know if that's accurate. What having to be ambitious? Being not just looking that bad. So we just consulted with Doctor Michael, and apparently the infected arm could happen, mm. but it is mm. inaccurate that you couldn't inject in other veins. Yes, in the scene. His arm is clearly fucked up, clearly painful, and um, I just don't know why you would wouldn't just move over to the. Well, you, I, I feel like I feel like this character wouldn't let it get that bad because he seems like switched on. I don't know, like semi smart. Like he's not like the smartest dude, but I just don't think he would let it get to that point. And also, when he needs to, doesn't make sense. Shoot up in that scene, you have a perfectly healthy arm on the other side. I don't know My why. My only thought just... is maybe because it's so painful, he can't use his yeah. injecting arm yeah. on the other side. But I think you just be like, weak. hey, dude, can we just... pull over? Can you, can you, can you do it for me? Help me out, mate. Yeah. I just, it just, when I watched it the first time, I was like, well, yeah, oh, he's, he's, this is a, he's fucked himself up. But rewatching it, it's like, that just seems silly to me. It seems. Seems. Seems, but yeah. doesn't make a lot of sense to but, me. Aronofsky needed a fucking in-your-face climax and that he had it to. worked. It worked and it fooled all the critics who fucking love this movie. It has great reviews. That's true. Mm. One thing that there has been criticism on in all the sort of articles, of which there were less than I expected that um, complain about this movie, is that what is missing is any sense of all the sort of societal economic psychological pressures that could drive people to Mm. take drugs or seek relief in drugs. We don't really see why apart from, you know, all the things that you've mentioned, which could be going on. There's no real explanation as to why 
the younger the youths have mm. sought out drugs. Yeah. Um, or what got them there? With a sense that you know they, we definitely understand where um, Sarah's come from. Yeah, yeah. Her journey is is sort of yeah makes but sense. She seems like maybe the addiction to television was bad for her relationship with her son and grief over her husband. But we don't. We can surmise that, but we don't see. She seems like a very loving mum otherwise mm, to yeah. Harry. Not that yeah. that should lead not being, you know, I'm not trying to blame parenthood on drugs or anything like that. No. It's not really nuanced enough to say why people turn to drugs. It's just like yes. drugs. Yes, yes. Here they are. Yeah. And there's no, you know, treatment for Sarah is obviously a real negative thing. Mm. And even if, it, even if it is treatment, not really sure. But there is absolutely no uh, depiction of treatment so it's very hopeless as a film yeah and it's very one note very one note one note it's and you sitting in the room right now is also testament to the fact that drugs aren't the end of everything <laughs> i survived you, you can survive <laughs> well, yeah <laughs> we're dipping into lots of categories but in terms of accuracy like it's not an accurate picture that four out of four people who use drugs will End up in the most hopeless and yeah. dire situations it's and the, never, never to return. No, it's it's we leave them in a state of absolute. That basically, you know, the the feeling is their lives are over. This is it. They're yeah. fucked. It's a it's a melodramatic tragedy sort of you know tale, and there's no hope in it. And like you said, there's no real. I think maybe because apart from Sarah's journey, mm. um, which you can sort of see the start and the end, I think. At the start of the film, they're already into drugs, so we don't yeah. see the reason why they turned to drugs. Yeah, where where it started. Where it started, we don't really get a sense. I think we get a sense they're from a lower socioeconomic yeah background. Um, At which least maybe is a stereotypical depiction. Oh, you're poor. Although Marion has drugs. rich parents. Marion has parents, but she also um, there's only one scene where she talks about um, they give me money. Oh, I don't want their money. I want their love. So I think that. Mm. You know, and I think that's... a little rich girl. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, that can be a reason you turn to, you know, other things. If yeah. If you don't get that nurturing from your parents. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's just it's just so undercooked. I don't really get a sense of why these people are doing these things. No, nah, there's no backstory. No backstory. In, there's not enough of a backstory. I think we sort of get a little bit from Harry, a lot more from Sarah, which is probably the most fleshed out character. Mm. None. None from Tyrone. Tyrone, he gets very little he from gets, Marion. He gets gypped. Tyrone gets gypped yeah. on the. All we know is he loved his mum, and his mum was lovely. Yeah, it just feels like he had three characters. Okay, I've got sort of kind of good stories for them. Oh, we've got sort of a you know the the, the black friend. Well, just, Chuck Ty- Chuck Tyrone in. Eh. Yeah, and it's sort of the mum who's you know proud of him as a kid. You know, he's sort of failing his mum now. It just doesn't really ring true, and it's not really developed enough to feel any emotion or any no empathy and it's towards just it. Like, Feels tacked on. It's just like a way to sort of punish himself for being a failure. Yeah. You know? Yeah. What's he in prison for, anyways? Well, they. So he uh, he takes Harry to the hospital because yeah. of his arm, and then they both get arrested because they're junkies, and they throw him in jail. <laughs> Does that happen? I don't know. That's another thing I'm not sure about. I Do you, can it, you just go to jail because you've taken drugs? I don't think that's what happens in the end. Unless they had a whole bunch of drugs on them. But they were going to Florida to get drugs. That's what I thought. Yeah. But they, they did have some on the way. There's some on the way, but I think they were. that's the whole sort of crux of the last bit is that they're just 
They need that last hit and it's to a, get there. And we as an audience, and I think they know it's a hopeless endeavour, but I'm not sure why he ends up in jail. No. What did he do? I can see why Tyrone might have been in jail because he's a black man and they're more likely to be incarcerated for yeah. no reason. Mm. Not sure why uh, Jared Leto would be in jail. Yeah. Because he's a pretty white is boy. He, is he in hospital jail? Jail hospital? I think they're just in normal jail. Because he gets his arm cut off. Oh, no, they, t- they take him to hospital to get his arm cut off, but he's in jail with Tyrone. The only thing I think of with Tyrone is that maybe when he got previously arrested, he couldn't leave the state or some shit. Oh, good point. Yeah. But that's not explained in the movie at all. That is just conjecture. That no. is just me making up stuff. Again. I don't know like, why they're in jail. Like a grade 12 drama script. Yeah. Like they go to jail because they went to hospital and they were doing drugs. Yeah, they go to jail because <laughs> they're, 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 they're... The bad boys. They're, they're bad, they have bad morals. I'm not sure. Maybe... It's really obvious and I missed something and all the listeners Poss- are going to be but like. But I missed it too. Sorry. But it's just sort of, because you're sort of sucked into this, you know, whirlpool of climax shit. It d- makes sense you're just in like, the world they're in. You're just, oh, okay, they're in jail. Well, of course, because everything's fucked up. Let's just go through the stereotypes we've already mentioned. Yeah. It's very mm-hmm. characteristic of the portrayal of quote unquote junkies. Yes. When they're in their sort of real junkie phase. Yes. What's a word to use instead of junkies? I don't like users. Drug user? Let's Google it. I just, I hate junkies and I hate. Drug addict, user, drug abuser, addict, junkie, fanatic, enthusiast, freak, <laughs> maniac, nut, and wannabe. Drug enthusiast. Yeah. It, and it's, yeah, like, like we said, it's really just like drugs are bad. You'll die. You'll never come back again. A stereotype of like the incompetent, dangerous doctor. I didn't mind that depiction in the, in the movie because I thought it was maybe. You know, a slight commentary on, from what I've read about the American sort of health mm, system mm. in the way that, you know, yeah, care is sort of, you know, they're time poor. Yeah. You can see him looking at his watch like he wants to just get through this consult and he just gives her pills. I thought maybe there was some truth in that, like yeah. even though it may be a stereotype. I yeah. thought it was a bit of a commentary on how bad sort of the American health system is. The system itself, system yeah. system itself. So I wasn't too... Worried about that stereotype. Mm. I thought it was almost a bit of insightfulness, even though it's very exaggerated. No doctor would actually fucking do that, I feel. Like in the way it's presented in the movie. <laughs> Not in the way it's presented, no. But, but it's, it's an exaggerated I mean, movie. I've definitely gone to a doctor or two who barely said anything, gave me, I just wanted a medical certificate and sent me on my way. Yeah. So oh, no, true, true. There's definitely the professionals out there that just are getting through the day. Yeah. Especially ones that have been around for a while and they're just you're like, They've seen it all. They just know give me my after. quota. I'm bulk build, so just, just smash them out. In and out, yeah. But yeah, I, I think that's a good point. Like, and there is definitely, particularly with mental health, the system is pretty flawed and yeah. messed up. And yeah, broken. and especially to, in 2000. In Australia in, as well. Yeah, and in 2000, I think, you know, tw- oh, yeah, 21 years ago now. Fuck me. Um, yeah. It's a long time. Like, you know, her concerns are just ignored. Yeah. But like, you know, in this day and age too, it's very. Health system is very stressed, so it's probably very oh, accurate. Especially now with COVID and everything, eh? But no, I agree. It is that sort of stereotype of that overworked doctor, like, you know, mm. you know, take the pill, see ya. Yep, see you later. Bye. Come back in a, in a Bye, week. boy. There's this article that was like, we talked about how there's nothing about recovery. Like this article was saying like, the story of recovery isn't really, isn't rare at all. Like people everywhere are recovering. It's common everyday stuff. It's like addiction itself is also common, but like recovery is just not as exciting cinema, I guess. Oh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Except for um, the baby crawling over the roof and transporting. <laughs> yeah, that's 
That's some good shit. <laughs> no, it's it's much more sexy. It's much more fun. It's much more exciting to see people spiral downwards. Do you think that it's a bit of a stereotype that drug users do like reckless, dangerous shit? Or is that pretty accurate? I think that's pretty accurate. Yeah. I mean, it's used a lot in media, but I think that's true to life. I think that's accurate. I guess because yeah. you're you're inhibited. Your frontal lobe isn't working as well as it exactly. usually is. You take more risks and you're more motivated to do things recklessly because it leads to outcomes that you want. Yeah. Drugs, money, peace. Power. Power. <laughs> That's one of the redeeming or like one of the good things about the film is that it does, it, it, I think, accurately presents that sort of gradual, mm. more risk-taking, yeah. getting worse and yeah. worse. Fair. But with no recovery, with no sort of sense of hope or outcome. Redemption. It's yeah. just a hopeless Hopeless. Fucking. Bleak. Yeah. Which makes it really stereotypical. It's all falling apart. It gets darker and darker. It's bleaker and bleaker. Mm. And it's like, it's all like a punishment for their initial, like it could be seen as like a religious thing in the end, you know? Mm. I don't know. <laughs> like a morality tale. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um. And I guess, <laughs> I, guess, I guess a big stereotype for me is like, it's so sex shamey. Like, yeah. Yeah. Marion is a She's slut shamed because she pays is, for is she drugs. Slut shamed? Well, she she by by the director, by the male lens, by the male gaze. But rather than use money, she goes to the dealer that wants sex for drugs, and mm. she gives him sex. Yeah, she's very grossed, you know, grossed out by it. She doesn't want to do it, but doesn't she does it. it. It's very violating, and it's you know borderline rapey. But it's also the fact that she kind of essentially becomes a sex worker by the end of it. Mm. Um, that scene is like the worst possible outcome for her Yeah, as a yeah. woman. Yeah. Whereas everybody else like not having an arm, which is ableist um, as well. <laughs> let's, let's, let's oh, say it. If you have two arms, you want to keep your two arms. I can see how it can be a bit of a like, damn it. I've lost one of my arms. Like, yeah, but <laughs> there's lots of people out there with, of course. Who are amputees who would see that and go, well, that's not the worst thing in the world because I'm having a great life. That's very no, of course. tropey. Tyrone's in jail. For no reason. He's, he's uh, betrayed his mum and his Sarah mom. is non-responsive and living uh, uh, no kind of life, no quality of life. And Marion's a sex worker. Would you call her a sex worker? I mean, she's definitely I not don't... a safe sex worker. But so she... Throughout the film, she it's implied to me, at least I interpreted it as, she sometimes sleeps with her therapist to get money and to keep him on side. Uh, she goes to a psychiatrist to get money mm. and has sex with him. Um, and then she goes to Big Tim to get... He's the guy who only... The dynamite skag. And he only gives it for pussy. For pussy. For pussy. And then... I don't use that word... Normally, this is just from movie reference. Yes. Audience. Yes. I don't say pussy. I don't like pussy. Yuck. <laughs> and then she. But it's a one-off. So I don't. I don't it's if, a one-off. I don't but know then... if you call her a sex worker. No, no. I I assume by the end she's one of his. She's He's her pimp. And he's. No, I do. I, I think you've changed my mind there. Because that sort of fetal position shot at the end where she's sort of holding the money. Or drugs. I just assume that this is her life now. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, Tyrone and uh, Harry's fucked off to Florida and it seems like she's not really in cahoots with them. She's just getting her own really. Yeah. And she's gone Which with big, re- t- big Tim. I respect. In a way I respect that. That Lost she's, him. she's, she's doing, 
girl boss. She's doing her own she's thing. She's girl boss, girl man. Boss. Girl boss, boss, bitch. Look, she seems extremely violated in that sense. Oh, yeah, hugely. Like, there's hugely no, violated. she's not like being. Would um, you call it rape? Yeah, I would. But she, she sort of. She doesn't she, seem to consent to she, what's happening, but she, she doesn't seem to have a choice. It's sort of like she's going to do whatever they ask her to do because she wants drugs, and that is probably not consent, but she, it's, you know, you know what I mean? Well, you know I mean, mean, we are not in the business of sex work, so we don't really know what well, it's like. Well, Steph, I have something to tell you. Oh, okay. No. no. <laughs> I just don't know if I'd call her a sex worker. I think she. It's implying in the film that the fact that she is now using her body at, for sex mm. for drugs, mm. that which is essentially what's sex work could be seen as you mm. have sex with someone for payment yep, yep. Is, a, is is the worst possible thing that could happen to her like yep. everyone else is in the worst possible situation that's her worst yep. possible situation yeah yeah no I, I agree i know i know exactly what you're saying it does feel a little bit sort of male gaze misogynist yeah 100%. Like, okay i'm writing what's the worst outcome for harry he his arm gets infected chop it off tyrone's in jail Let's for, for for Marion. Okay, let's use her female body. Sort of objectify the, her. Objectifies and have this drugs. shocking scene. And remember the first time I saw that scene. It's just almost ridiculous. You know what? I don't even remember the first time I saw it. I think I must have covered my eyes. Maybe it's, Mum was in the room, like touch eyes. I mean, it's like <laughs> it's full on. It's it's almost so over the top that it's just like humorous. Yeah. In a way, like it's just what the fuck. Well, apparently the um, woman that she's having ass to ass with. Is a sex worker in mm, real life, mm. or um, was at the time? And whenever people like, she was really excited to be in the film. She's like, "This is gonna, you know, get me." She, she's get obviously me aspiring yeah. to be an actress. Yeah, yeah. Didn't get her very far, but people will say to her in the street, "Ass to ass." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I read that too. And she didn't get her name in the credits. No, she, she got, didn't. She got, and Darren said she would be in the credits. Yeah, yeah. Darren, Darren modify it up. for the Criterion Collection. Come on. So, yeah, like it clearly was taken as a male gazy sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can't articulate it. It's hard for me to articulate it, but it just feels sort of with those quick cuts between everyone's bad situations and mm. then we sort of, I mean, when it goes to her, like thrusting with, you know, the ass yeah. thing, it just sort of feels like it feels really male gazy. And obviously there is that male gaze because there's, you know, a circle of Males. well-to-do people, mm. well-to-do <laughs> Rich people watching her. Maybe it was like suits. some like Wall Street kind of sex party. Maybe thing. it's in the same like back lot of the supermarket. That's where they all yeah, hang out. Yeah, fuck. It just it just feels wrong. Yeah, it feels wrong to me. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Do you think there was anything helpful about this movie? No. <laughs> I knew you were gonna say that. <laughs> Let me think. I mean, I don't want to do heroin no. thanks to this movie. No. You can say that it. Or amphetamines. Or amphetamines. Like, you know, could lose, well, at the could, start, could lose a few kilos. You know, she seems pretty happy at the start. That's drugs, man. Might clean the house a bit better. Oh, it's so good. Um, it's a good film student film. If you wanted to look at different techniques, it's a good film to watch. It's oh, like, it's, it's helpful in the way, yeah. It's like the movie that you made with Maz in it, giving birth to Lottie, mm. our dog, because mm. you use lots of different angles yeah, and different oh, shots. You. I think it's I, lo- it, that's it's the film that you watch for that. I think um, I watched Requiem for a Dream as inspiration for that film. <laughs> I think um, I'll post it in the episode. I love it. It's my greatest creation. Um, no, helpful. Look, I like the way that it. You know, it doesn't. It doesn't glamorize drug use at mm, all. No, at it all, doesn't it? Really doesn't. All. Movies like uh, you know, Goodfellas, you know, a lot of Scorsese stuff, really. 
glamorizes drugs for the first two thirds and then shows the downfall of the character. Yeah. Through, you know, like snappy but we don't, nights. But we don't quite remember the downfall. Remember the cool shit. Remember the cool shit. Yeah. And that's why we love it because it looks so cool. Yeah. This movie, it's when they're taking drugs at the start, it's presented quite sort of plainly. It's not really exaggerated. I mean, apart from those quick, you know, hip hop montages, as mm. they call it. But, you know, it also very quickly shows like kind of gross bits of actual yeah. drugs being taken yeah. and yeah. what the you ne- do. Negative with those. repercussions yeah. of it. Yeah. So I think it's helpful in the way that it's, you know, it's, it could be a PSA about dr- do drug use for kids, basically. It's like, don't do drugs. I think that's, you know, could be potentially helpful. Like all the reviews are like, it'll scare the, f- you know, it'll make you. Scare straight. Scare, you know, you'll never take drugs after seeing this movie. Um, but that's also, I think, a bit of a harmful thing as well. Yes. Do, do, do you have any helpful? Only one extra thing is that, and I loved this, one of the drug dealers was deaf. And hmm. in the cut just before um, Marlon Wayans Just before get, he gets shot gets in the fucking head. Yeah, but, you know, the, his partner was doing Auslan to interpret. Mm. Um, it's good representation because disabled <laughs> people can be drug dealers too. Oh, my God. Nailed there's, it. There's no limits. The, the sky's the limit. The sky's the limit. You too. For, for def- you too could be to, a drug be a dealer. Drug but and we then need get more, shot in the head but, by an agent in the front. But we car. need more of that. We need more people with disabilities just in a film because they're there, because they are a member of the society, not because it's a plot line that this person's got a disability, just because it's like in Fargo that one of the um, dudes is deaf and that his partner interprets for him. Like, Well, I think what's interesting about the deaf character is that um, I think a, lo- a lot of people are like, why, why would you put a deaf character or a blind character in a movie? It would just distract the audience. But, like, it just made it feel a bit more interesting and real. Like, yeah, it didn't. Exactly. It wasn't a plot point that it, was, it didn't really no. affect the plot. But, you know. It, it would deaf. be even better if that actor was also deaf. But he wasn't. Don't know. It's... Um, didn't take anything away from the scene. No. It added to the scene. It just was. And um, it was an interesting choice. And I think more of that. Yeah, go for it. Maybe it wasn't a choice. Maybe it was just the actor that he wanted to yeah. play. It was, yeah. was deaf. And that's great. Yeah. More of great. that, please. More of that. More deaf drug dealers, please. Yes. <laughs> what Aronofsky wanted to sh- wanted to say, and I think what Hub- Hub- Hubert, Hubert Selby wanted to say, is that, you know, the dream... The Requiem for the Dream, the dream is the great American dream, which is like prosperity, prestige, and the chase of that great illusion, that American dream will kill you dead, is what he said. Mm. So it was supposed to be a tome, morality tale for like striving for success is like pointless and it will kill you and attaining it will kill you. Striving for it is, is a disaster. That isn't the message I got from the film. No, I was about to say that did not come across in the didn't film. Didn't come across to me. At all. Maybe the maybe it is in the book. I don't know. Yeah. But also, I don't think that's a helpful message either. <laughs> no, no. So, I don't think that's a good message. And it did not come, I don't think that aspect came across in the film at all. You could probably make a film about that. And I'm sure there's probably been a million films made about them that I can't think of right now without drugs in it. Without um, it being a dog to drugs. From what I've um, read about Aronofsky's sort of intent with the film, mm. he uh, there was this one article said he explains that the film is about addiction to anything, mm. not just illegal drugs. It could be addiction to coffee, TV, or even hope. Mm. Um, I don't 
think there's anything wrong with an addiction to hope, though. No. Sometimes I, hope is all we have, think, especially think, during COVID. I think there can be good addictions. I mean, we all we all have addiction to some extent. We all wear masks. We all, what's that from? The mask. The mask. The mask. <laughs> um, and then there's also, I read this another another quote, which I wrote, faux intellectual comment. Mm. When we were amoebas in the primordial soup, we were searching for carbon molecules to get high off of. So I think he's trying, I think he's, I think his intent is saying we as humans, we have a propensity to be addicted to stuff. Yeah. Um, but then the message is don't be like that. But we're all like that. So what's the alternative, mate? Yeah, I think for every, everything I've read, it, he wanted to explore addiction and not, not focus necessarily on heroin. Um, or amphetamines because he doesn't name them in the film. Mm. It sort of leaves them blank for you to sort of fill in the blanks. And for it to be an exploration of addiction. Mm. But I feel like it completely fails as any nuanced exploration of addiction. Why people get addicted, recovery. I just don't think it covers anything. I think it's very one note and very Mm. just sensationalist really. Yeah, and it doesn't – coming at it from that lens of he's wanting to say that striving for anything – is pointless. It's a hopeless message and the film is a hopeless film. Mm. There's no hope in it and I guess that's the intent. Yeah. You didn't want to have any hope in no. it. No. Good I, job. You succeeded. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's what makes it a film you watch once and then never watch again because it's a journey, um, it's intense. It offers nothing of value to the viewer, I yeah. feel. It's just, it's just misery porn basically. But um, I also feel like the viewer is looking at these people with – disdain and like sympathy but like oh you know they deserve it i think there's not we're not supposed to have sympathy for at least you know harry and marion and mm. Ty- tyrone we're supposed to be like well serves you right yeah you got you got what you, you what was yeah. coming to yeah and i guess for sarah for sarah we're supposed to be sympathetic to the point of pity really mm, yeah there's not much empathy for the no, characters yeah and all these all these quotes I've been reading from actors, the actors in the film being like, you know, we all want to fill our lives with something and yeah. all that sort of stuff. It just does not come across in no, the film at doesn't. all. And I think it's just, you know, if it's like a really young filmmaker trying to make something in your face provocative, but they're just not having the maturity to really delve deep into the topic of addiction. Yeah. If you're going to say this is about addiction to everything, explore it a bit more. It's just people firing into, you know, some ridiculous end outcome like yeah. four people apart from scaring and shocking you into not taking yeah. drugs which has been proven to not actually be the most effective way to stop people taking drugs fear-based oh. stuff doesn't work very doesn't well work for anything really does it there's really no helpful aspect of it at all i mean maybe play it to your 12 students you know to like, teach them how to make a film <laughs> to, to teach them how to make a, a shitty uh, film, a shitty film? <laughs> no i mean like actually sort of you know i i like the movie for its aesthetic and its technique and some of the acting the story just um there's there's nothing to gain from it in terms nothing of, to gain from it at all in terms of the the technique there was one article i read that i i liked the quote for is that requiem for a dream which is you know his aronofsky's second film after uh pie Pi. i was gonna say life of Pi. very Pi. different film yeah have you seen pie i haven't seen Me pie either, no. and it's probably something i need yeah. to cover as well um it feels young the thrill of Reckon for a dream comes from it being the f- the work of artists who hadn't yet been told what they could and couldn't do for mm. better and maybe they say in one instance i'd say more for worse yeah yeah yeah, yeah. which is a good summary yeah. Yeah. like aronofsky's like let's Let's start some shit. 
Let's just go for it. Yeah. Let's just fucking yeah. throw shit at the wall. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's what it feels let's like. Let's do all the techniques. Yeah. All the techniques. That's, that's, that, I appreciate it for those techniques. The split screen stuff. The music. The music. That score. The score. And I mean, like, the, the film starts with that ominous score from the very start. And from the start, it's just, you know, these people are fucked. Yeah. There's no fucking hope. And I've seen... They I've, haven't done anything yet, but the music is, like, depressing as fuck. I've seen that score bits and pieces of, like, memes and stuff. Yeah. And I I never really clocked as to what it was from. And yeah. then when it started, I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a fucking sick score. It's very good. It's amazing. <laughs> like, without that score, the film... Wouldn't work. I don't no, think. you're right. And um, they went through a lot to get to yeah, that yeah, point I read with that too. Clint Mansell was the composer. Yeah, I mean it's a fantastic score. Yeah, it's therefore. ridiculous, but it, it works. And I do get sort of choked up at the very end when Sarah walks out of the, yeah, the facility and, and, and her friends breaks my heart because I hate seeing old ladies suffer. Yeah. It's my little um, kryptonite. <laughs> <laughs> my my main issue with the movie is that it shows drug use. Drug addiction as a one-way street to yeah. the worst, whatever, whatever, whoever you are, the worst possible outcome for you. There's no sense of hope. There's no sense of recovery. There's no sense of life after this. There's and I just think it's it's um it's immature. It's you know? immature, yeah. It's immature. It's an immature reading or understanding of addiction. It's very dramatic, yeah. overdramatic. It's immature. It's an overdramatic teenager. Yeah, and if you are someone who's going through this or, you know, have seen this movie and then go through this, you might. It, it, it could be quite harmful in your mindset of going, well, I guess I'm, this is my life now. I'm fucked. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think. Obviously, there's been films made since then that more, you know, hopeful themes. Yeah. But like you said, recovery is pretty boring to watch on yeah. cinema. And it's more salacious. It's more exciting to watch people spiral and yeah. get shocked and stuff. But I just think it's just it's just a, a little boy's interpretation of yeah. drugs. There's I another, just think it's dumb. There's another quote here that's, that mentions something about boys. A good boy's fantasy of the price bad boys pay. <laughs> I love that. Oh, and just one last point I have to make, which we've danced around. The fact that Marion, her the psychiatrist, is also like her what, sugar daddy, sugar daddy, and who has you know sex with her for money and also like spies on her for her family or whatever is just fucked and such a bad interpretation of psychiatry. And also, there's absolutely no reason why, like, there's no explanation why she sees a psychiatrist, or mm. is it just her parents are like overprotective and want to want her to see a psychiatrist, or does she have actual mental health issues, or is it for addiction? Like, there's no explanation as to yeah. why. And then it turns out that he's just a creepy fucko. Yeah, he's like one Fucked. of the mo- he's like almost the most repulsive character in the yeah. whole film. Yeah, even worse than what little Tim, Big Tim. Big boy Tim. Big boy. I don't know. Just I hate that. Big character. Tim is kind of hot, but uh, <laughs> um, this guy's not. What would we give it if we went through our criteria? Yeah. So first of all, lived experience. I mean, we don't know. Aronofsky hasn't said no. that he's been an addict. Jared Leto has. Maybe half. Maybe half. Because he's sort of the main character. So I feel like. Yeah, fair. Like, and from reading about his backstory, it does seem very relevant. And I think there's a lot they can relate to. But just because you decide to put yourself through addiction for the film doesn't really make a live variance, which is kind of what he did. I was talking about the previous addiction. Yeah, I know, I know. I'm just saying. All right, give it zero. No, no, no. Give it a half. Give it a half. Give it a half. Accuracy. 
Oh, tricky one. There's pros and cons. Mm. Look. Does it balance out? I think I think a half. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it does some things well. Yeah. But others are just like ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, half, half, half. Half, half. Half. Stereotypes? I think zero. Zero. I don't think it's I think, I think it's cr- too many I think, tropes. I think it created a bunch of negative stereotypes yeah. too. I think it was a genesis of a lot of shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Harmful versus helpful. I reckon it's probably more harmful. Yeah, I'm gonna go harmful. When I told everyone at work today that I was doing a podcast on it, everyone went like, "Oh, that movie! Oh God, <laughs> yeah. no!" Everyone oh, remembers it, oh, not for good reasons. Oh, you're doing that, so I think you know it's it's a bit notorious. Mm. I I just think upon growing up and watching it again, I just think it's kind of bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me on the pod. No worries. Thank I really enjoyed my time. Thank you so much for listening to Psycho Cinematic Podcast. If you really enjoy our podcast and want more, don't forget to subscribe to our Patreon. For only just $3 a month, you get access to lots of exclusive content, bonus episodes, and of course, your opinion matters more to us than those who don't subscribe. Follow us on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and Facebook. And chuck us a wholesome review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Good Pods. Do it. See you later. This podcast is not designed to be therapeutic, prescriptive, or constitute a formal diagnosis for any listener. For a longer version of this disclaimer, please check the episode notes on your podcast app.